0: I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guestwork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. If you're a returning listener, thank you. And if you're new to the show, well, I hope you're going to really enjoy this episode. My guest is Dr. Tamsin Lewis, or Dr. Tam as she prefers to be known. And she started out her career in psychiatry, and obviously training as a doctor, before moving into triathlon, which apparently was a result of a dare with another doctor. And she discovered that she was actually a pretty good triathlete. So she operated at top level in the amateur triathlon world for quite a while before in 2015 winning her first Ironman UK at the first attempt, which is quite an extraordinary achievement. She studied sports medicine while still practicing as a doctor, and she's worked with some of the leading figures in medicine in health and in wellness. And what she does now is she has a company called Fibre Health, and that's www.fibrehealth.com. She also has a personal website, which is Sporty Doc, that's sport, I-E, i I recommend checking out this new websites because she is a highly intelligent woman and we read a really interesting discussion about how she's managed to blend science, medicine, technology with health to create something that's really new and really innovative. And I really think she's going to go places. So check out her websites, and I hope you enjoy the show. Dr. Tam, welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be Sunny here. Sunny Barnes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to have planes going over. It's going to be a very genuine London recording, authentic experience. Yeah, um, a few birds, which is nice, a, few a bit birds, greenery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very nice. Let's get stuck straight in, if we may, because I've obviously done my research and background and your story is, is a really interesting one. So Thank would you. you mind just talking us through that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about me. I'm a medical doctor, trained in Kings in London and then did some postgraduate classification in psychiatry just because I liked spending time and talking to people. So at the time, I associated the two. That's kind of my medical background. I then took a diversion when I got discovered I was quite good at triathlon and I got the opportunity to take it up a level and race as a professional athlete. for? How did you discover you were good at triathlon? <laughs> I signed up to Blenheim Triathlon three times when I was uh, at medical school and didn't turn up each time and lost my money. Um, one, because I'm a perfectionist and I thought, right, I, haven't, I spent too much time studying and drinking and not getting fit and therefore I can't show up and do it. The fourth time I actually went and did it and just sucked up the fact that I hadn't done enough training and did really well. I think I won my age group. And at the time, one of my friends said to me, you know, your name's in 220 triathlon magazine. You've won your age group. And I'm like, it's my first triathlon. I won my age group. Probably because it's a classic sort of starter triathlon, you know, the quality of the field though is, is pretty low. So, But I was so compelled by that and the fact that I was good at it that I decided to kind of caught the triberg and then decided to actually, yeah, get a coach and do some training in the triathlon. And then, the story went from there. I ended up winning my age group for Great Britain at the Age Group World Championships, which was held on the Gold Coast.
0: Bear what distance?
1: At Olympic distance. Right. Okay. So that was at the time, sort of the gold standard, it was fairly competitive. And yeah.
0: So this has all happened pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. This is 2009. I won. So literally I did my first triathlon end of 2007. And then I did the London triathlon and got a place on a triathlon team called Herbalife that was sponsored by Herbalife at the time. That was coached by a chap called Bill Black, who was quite renowned in the industry. How
0: do you feel about that sponsorship now?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, a Herbalife is a company, and used to send me all these products, and I looked at them and went, hmm, maybe. So, no, I mean, back then, I was totally unknowledgeable compared to where I am now, around nutrition diet supplements and we'll come back to that because obviously you know I went into it relatively young I had a a, some degree of genetic talent given my dad was a former Tour de France British champion cyclist so I had some sports team for want of a better word but I was definitely Mm -hmm. under supported nutritionally and supplementary and lifestyling and I paid for the cost of that eventually so Herbalife, Bill Black, Triathlon Academy, it became quite good at triathlon, um, won the world championships, then got picked up by Brett Sutton, who has famously coached Chris Wellington and Nicole Spirig, the former Olympic champion in London 2012. Went out to, th- um, got some sponsorship from, um, and took time out. I got took a sabbatical for medicine and they very kindly lent me to do that. Went out to meet Brett Sutton in Thailand, trained there, broke my collarbone three weeks within the first three weeks of being there, having trying to avoid a dog on the road so that was quite demotivating but actually I learned a lot from actually just hanging around there and talking to Brett and seeing people some of the world's best triathletes performing training day in day out and I'm a big observer of people and I observed a lot around their behaviors their mindset their tenacity mood swings etc.
0: Yeah did some of that without jumping ahead did some of that inform what you do now? Only in hindsight, it's very hard to reflect when you're actually going through it, but I mean, absolutely looking at what
1: I learned from those people and what I took away from it or what I look at now is the kind of the resilience factor, you know, who were the resilient athletes that stayed the course, you know, Brett is a very famous coach and people come to him and a lot of the time it's like smashing eggs against the wall, seeing which one cracks. (sighs) So I was very interested in what, who were the people that stayed the course and what was it about them that made them successful? And, you know, a lot of it is mindset. A lot of it is knowing yourself, trusting in your coach, and also having the right insights into your physiology that allow you to then support yourself. And it could be that led into eventually me looking at blood testing because I was, you know, went through my own experience with sort of borderline anaemia, thyroid problems, adrenal dysfunction, no periods—all classic things that a lot of endurance athletes see. And my GP wasn't able to give me any answers apart from rest and take horrible iron sulfate tablets, which then upset my gut and made my diagnosis of IBS, which, is, as you know, a diagnosis of exclusion doesn't really mean much other worse So that Mm. kind of all of that information is definitely funnelled into how I am today Mm. and how I look at people and how I approach things. Okay. Well we'll come back to today. You were saying about your collarbone. Collarbone, yeah, collarbone broke collarbone and so I sat on the side and watched people for a while, but Brett had me, you know, still doing other forms of training that didn't involve me with my arm and I didn't get it operated on, I was told to, but I decided to let it heal in the sun in in Thailand, got back to it did my first 70.3, which is half Ironman distance as a professional athlete. I've never done one before. And I came second. That was Ironman 70.3 UK, just behind Bella Baylis, He was very famous during that time. That was 2011, I think, 2010. And then kind of went on a trajectory of racing and training and half Ironmans around the world. Brett wanted me to do Ironman the longer distance straight up because he recognized my physiology was one that... Could just keep going at the same pace for longer, so I couldn't up the ante much. But I literally could go. But my mindset and my thinking around endurance meant I just wasn't ready for an Ironman, physiologically and psychologically. And my fell out around that because I refused to do it. So I went and had a different coach who had a different sort of training ethic, and I did seventy point three for a couple of years and did well, podiumed around the world, European Championships, etc. But I pretty much teetered around. Overtraining reds, which is the new concept terminology and called relative energy deficiency syndrome, which used to be called female athlete triad. So intermittently, you know, going through periods where you don't have menstrual cycles, low body weight, I didn't have low bone density, but I suffered all the similar things, you know, borderline iron deficiency, anemia, thyroid dysfunction, so yeah, you your brain tells your thyroid to slow
0: down the production of thyroid
1: hormone to get you to just slow down generally.
0: So what causes that? What is the cause of those physiological changes? Is it the body screaming something's not right, I'm sending you signals?
1: All of those things are important but I think, I guess the takeaway is stress is stress and if you add in stress of training and you don't support it well enough through supplying yourself with enough energy, so nutrition, macronutrient nutrition calories generally and then the nutrients needed to support what you're asking your body to do so looking at all the key nutrients zinc magnesium omega-3s fatty acids and you know b vitamins just so you've got your micronutrients and you've got your macronutrients your carbs your proteins your fat and so it's having enough it's blending that and then it's also accepting that if you're under-recovering, you won't be adapting to the training stimulus. So it's, it's putting that all together. And I think for me and a lot of people, we're so tenacious in our outlook that we just keep going. And if it's painful, then that's fine. We just push through the pain. And do you know that there's an extent, as I always say to this concept called hermesis, which is adaptation to a stressful stimulus. I think the body can do that for so long and keep going and strengthen. over time if everything else then depletes then you end up with adrenal dysfunction and you end up fatigued and not able to adapt to the training stimulus anymore and you underperform and that's sad because now what I know now is that if you recognize what that looks like in the right tests for example a blood test and we use other testing to look at adrenals which are your main major stress hormone producing glands as well as other hormones that regulate metabolism then, using that information, you can put in some building blocks to say, you know, boost up your iron levels, change up your B vitamin levels, for example, work on your caloric sufficiency so that you're eating enough and you're eating at the right times and you're not relying on stimulants like caffeine to get you through the day, working on your sleep, all of those things. It's building a picture that allows you to then perform and adapt to the training you're being asked to do.
0: Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting, and in obviously, we're both are familiar with the health and fitness world. Is that there seems to be a move towards more intelligent training. Instead of that, beast yourself, blast yourself, keep going, 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 you know, rather than looking at how you can bring yourself from sympathetic to parasympathetic dominance at the end of a workout, for example. Mm. And we we always, when we work with clients on a fitness basis, we spend the last five minutes, it's only five minutes, but it's a start, just breathing to try and bring them from sympathetic dominance to parasympathetic dominance. And there seems to be a move towards more intelligent forms of training, mm. you know, getting less out of someone we were talking about earlier before we started recording, who believe you could get more out of doing less. I definitely believe that as well mm. with training. So I'm training for the marathon that's uh, at time of recording, it's in three days time. And I've actually just done long runs every couple of weeks. And in between sort of in the groove with my usual routine of lots of walking, a couple of maybe a cycle session, a spin class, a couple of boxing sessions, which is more on the body, and then just doing a few long runs, rather than that sort of you know, classic marathon training plan, which is nowhere near the distances you were doing. But the principle is still the same. Principle? Um, yeah.
1: I totally agree with you. And, and when I shift coaches to a local coach away from Beth Sutton, it was very much focused on mm. more of a sports science approach, mm. in intensity and tracking, and looking at training peaks and the training stress stores. So this whole idea about intelligent training, absolutely. Mm. But people are different and physiology respond differently, and it depends on your goal. You know, some people need high mileage. There are the diesel engines and it takes a good coach and it takes an awareness of your own body to see which kind of training would suit you the yeah. most. And it also depends on your background, your aerobic physiology, what kind of base you've got. Because I know for me, if I now tried to do an Ironman, I could do it because I can keep going. I wouldn't be able to put the power out that I used to because my strength isn't So I'm not. But I think the takeaway from that is we're moving to this era where people know more about, who they are physiologically, genetically, and therefore choose sports that suit that. Or we then have to differentiate with people's mindsets that they're like, you know, they look at an Ironman or they look at an ultra endurance race or a marathon. They're like, I really want to do that for the sake of doing it, yeah. which is great. Just don't make it your hobby because if you're forcing a physiology that isn't perhaps primed for it to do something consistently, I think there's there's usually a downside, you know. Mm-hmm. The joints or inflammation or oxidative stress or accelerated aging whatever i think yeah the takeaway from that is intelligent training i definitely is the way forward yeah you know you're looking at that i'm looking at that with my company fiber too so
0: yeah yeah and i think that can be a lot of people that listen to this podcast will be busy professionals who are pushing and over pushing themselves over exerting themselves just in a different way And i think a lot of what we talked about can be applied to them as well as building in Rest and relaxation, balancing the output, i.e. the amount of volume of work they're doing with the input, the meditation or the time out or the micro breaks or the naps or the whatever it is that balances out that parasympathetic and sympathetic dominance. Mm. And I think we can learn a lot from looking at how the really top elite athletes train the latest thinking and ideas for professionals Mm -hmm. in the working world. It's much the same thing, as you say, the body doesn't recognize the difference between physiological stress caused by lifting an extremely heavy weight or working a 13, 14-hour shift without breaks yeah, It's just stress. Am I right in saying
1: that? Yeah, everyone's perception of stress is different. But I tweeted about this recently, you know, the physiological markers, so what appears in your blood test or your saliva, whether the stress is psychological, physiological, is the same. It's cortisol as a medium-term stress hormone, and it's adrenaline as a short-term. So they impact your body the same with the sources. Yeah you know, work stress, relationship stress, physical stress. The caveat to that is how well you kind of recover from that stress. So, Mm. you know, an exercise stress can cause an adaptation because it releases inflammation and then your body then goes, right, you're forcing me to do this and therefore I'm going to adapt and strengthen. Whereas obviously psychological stress, it can be very depleting because it tends to be very persistent, you know, and that over time, unless you change your strategies to deal with it, ends up you know, being very depleting. So Mm. I think, you know, the work that you do with helping people develop strategies around stress, whatever the source is, is key, because, you know, a lot of the time we don't identify what is actually causing us or Mm. or limiting us.
0: Yeah, and there are so many different sources of stress now. I think technology has introduced a whole new level of stress, Mm. 24-hour availability and connectivity, which is a plus and a negative. Let's move towards that, because that's a curious intersection, isn't it? It can be a positive thing, it can be a negative thing. But in terms of the future of healthcare, I think we're going to have to adapt to this idea of using technology for the positive. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's absolutely
1: necessary. I think it's obviously happening a lot more quickly in the US than here, given that we have the NHS here and we still trust, quite rightly, a large part of our healthcare to a public healthcare system. But you know, increasingly, there's an app for this and an app for that. And... I think that then becomes a little bit overwhelming for people because they're using multiple different systems to track multiple different things and there's no sort of integration and each app isn't really speaking to each other. I know mm-hmm. Apple have, have obviously tried to overcome that with Apple Health and, and Google working on something similar with Android. But at the moment, there's no real sort of platform that can take in you know, your sleep data, your perceived stress data, your mood, anxiety, your blood tests, so your medical data, any other consumer data. Health tests you'd have, like your gut tests or any genetic data that you might choose to do through various consumer testing companies that are popping up left, right, and center now DNA Fits and DNA Life, and all of those types of companies. So there's a lot of siloed sort of information out there. And while it's interesting, I don't think that it's definitely lacking a context. And technology needs to, is and will need to address that problem of what does the ultimate personalized health well-being performance platform look like. It takes data from all these different sources and then kind of gives you context and meaning. And all people, busy people want to know is what should I do today to get the most out of myself? And then, you know, have an app bleep at them saying, you know, your HRV, your heart rate variability is this today, your perceived mood is this, your fasting glucose is this. We know from your recent gut tests that your inflammatory markers were raised, which is the sign there's systemic stress so your body's in stress so putting all that information together and saying right you know go off gluten for 30 days because your gut's inflamed you know reduce your carbohydrate intake especially in the morning because we know that your cortisol is raised and you're going to be going into fatty acid and gluconeogenesis in the morning so taking all that information and then going right just do this because we're in Mm. this kind of era of like decision fatigue like and i know this myself you know i just want to wake up and i want to for things to, that I wear for the day just to be there, my training kit to be there and just, you know, have someone else take over, the sort of fluff. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of like a dream, but it will come. There's yeah, lots of really smart come. people working on this. And, you know, I've been there myself working with a company called Amixi who unfortunately dissolved because they got their business model wrong, but they were looking at all this kind of thing, you know, the ultimate personal data yeah. platform. And now Google looking at it. Google, um, Verily's initiative of looking at personalized data and yeah, there's big people looking to try and solve this problem. But in the meantime, I think we have to start someone else talk about the Tesla model. So at the moment, these kind of testing, it's, it's all quite expensive. So you say to people, do these tests and we can give you all these insights, which can sort of drive how you should live your life and what you could do differently to get the most out of yourself. And that's costly. But from that information, we can then you know, derive sort of questionnaires and insights and recognize patterns that we can then apply to people without doing the testing. Mm. So once you can prove through a more expensive model that the tests you do reveal what you thought when you looked and spoke to the person or got information about them, if you get enough of those, then you start to realize that certain common things are common. And, Mm. you know, there's I work with Dr. Tommy Wood at Nourish, Balance, Thrive, and they're doing some really smart stuff. I, when I say work with him, he's kind of like a mentor, and we go back and forth and trying to figure out a way to work more closely together on fiber, which is my company in the UK. But anyway, he they're working on predictive analytics, so taking some very basic blood tests and then driving insights
0: based on years of research and picking up biomarkers. So if I have a set of results, what he and perhaps others are working on is what What might that look like in three months' time if you carry on as you are? Mm -hmm. Or what might that look like in a year if you make changes? Is that the kind of thing you mean by predictive analytics?
1: No, but I can see how you think that. So thanks for picking up. They actually got some basic biomarkers for things like liver function markers, blood glucose, red cell distribution. It's like a really standard sort of blood test that you actually could even get from a GP. And through that, they've developed some algorithms that are based on research that can say, We know that wherever those markers sit in the range, it means that you're at likely risk of adrenal dysfunction, gut problems, specific things like, and yeah, heavy metal toxicity, you know, it's common, things like that. So I quite like, and and at the moment, obviously we're testing that model to see if they're actually true and Mm -hmm. working and what the time it is. So yeah, I think that's the way we're going as well. So being able to recognize patterns without having to get exact data, yeah, and spend hundreds
0: of pounds on. Yeah. All with a view to helping people prevent. And what I love about the health sector is moving is it's becoming very personalised, isn't it? It's all about what worked for you or your mum or my friend or an athlete I revere, but it's it's very personal about me, my genes, my blood results, my data, my HRV, the whole thing. And it's it's moving that way. And wearable tech's certainly allowing us to track some of those things now. Yeah. Uh, you've got an Apple Watch. I do normally wear an Oura ring. I've Actually, well, the way I use the Oura ring with clients is I'll jump on there in the cloud on a Monday morning and I'll have a look at basic things like their total sleep, REM sleep, deep sleep, their activity levels, mm. steps, low, medium, and high intensity mm. activity. And then I'll look at HRV, resting heart rate, and body temperature is a really interesting one. Mm. So all that data now is available for about 300 euros. It's incredible. And from an individual perspective, they get an app, which makes it fairly simple to follow. and It's a whole wealth of data for us as coaches and practitioners to look at.
1: Well, it's making you accountable as well. And I think that's... Yeah,
0: which is a key part of it. It
1: is a key part of it. And, you know, there's two people that, one, you can get over obsessed with this stuff. So yeah. having someone sort of strip through it and say, right, that's important, that's not. Because, you know, I'm well aware myself that you look at this and it can become a stressful in itself because you go, oh my God. you could God. disappear up
0: your own back end with it. And as you know from a previous conversation, I've actually taken the ring off and I have not worn it for three weeks or so. I absolutely love it. But my finger has slightly changed the shape and size, believe it or not. So the ring is too tight. So I've taken it off the last three weeks. And I wake up and I think, how do I feel? I feel all right. I don't really know what my HRV is. I don't know what my resting heart rate is. But I know I feel okay. And if I don't, I'm going to make efforts to rectify that with a quick nap, doubling down on my nutrition, getting myself straight to the window or outside so I get the sunlight. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to take a break from it.
1: But having that information already up front, so you've done it for a few months and then you develop an awareness, which then becomes intuitive. Yeah. And therefore, so these tools definitely and these technologies definitely provide useful insights. Do you need to use it day in, day out forever? No, unless you're that obsessive mindset and then you should probably look at why you're that obsessive mindset.
0: Yeah.
1: So what I'm saying is that I think the insights they allow are very helpful upfront.
0: front. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk a bit about something I took from your website, which is the biopsychosocial approach to health. And then weave that in, in the last eight minutes or so, into to fibre into your company now. Mm. So tell me a bit about that approach, what it means, and how that's translated into your current company. So
1: I was taught about, in theory, of this whole concept of biopsychosocial at medical school. And actually, it's what drove me into psychiatry in the end, because I thought, great, I get to look at people's... Biology, so the, the chemistry in their body, their tests, and then I get to look at how they feel and function, I get to talk to them, that's the psychology, the why behind what people do and why they do it, and that's multi-layered. Obviously, that goes back to your childhood experiences, genetics, all that. Mm. And then the social is the environment, the piece that people live in now and have to function within environment, community, etc. So I loved that idea. And on paper, it sounds great and Actually when I was working in the NHS it, it didn't happen like that because you're forced into a sort of model of working whereby there's guidelines which exist for a reason to keep people safe but have their limitations you know nice guidelines etc but I liked the idea that you could talk with people that get the psychological aspect figure out who they are where they want to be why they want to be what are the things in their lives that are really limiting them and where they've come from getting them to open up a bit more meeting them where they're at so that That's the psychology piece, which is, you know, having done my background in psychiatry and my membership for college psychiatrist, I'm kind of well-versed in that. Then the biology is fascinating to me because I really believe, truly, through my experience now as a doctor and personally, that if you shift your biochemistry, and I'm talking about things like your hormone levels specifically, or changing up deficiencies like iron, B12, and and I've overloaded iron too, especially in men, so optimizing your blood work or any sort of physiological tests or the urine test that definitely can impact how you experience the world on a day-to-day basis i truly believe that and i think that key point is lost by a lot of people so that's what i do is try and figure out and tell people Look, if you change that through these interventions whether be it supplements sometimes we use bioidentical hormones sometimes we use medications i'd like to say not i'm increasingly mostly a lifestyle medicine doctor um So diet, nutrition, supplements. But occasionally in certain groups, hormones have a role. So I take that. So I take the physiological piece and that then affects how people feel and function. And the social is, you know, the community. I think this really goes missing in a lot of people's, you know, especially type A, very driven types. You know, we get very obsessed with a goal. We're very competitive, so we go into the workplace, we want to be the best in the workplace, we want to do a triathlon and we want a podium. And then, you know, we want to be successful and be the best mum, dad, partner that we can. And actually, sometimes that picture gets lost and you can't do everything and that Mm. that picture is overwhelming. So the importance of purpose, community, kind of finding your why is what I try and integrate into how I approach things. Brilliant. Yeah. So that method... Or which sounds complicated, is actually a method. And I think what comes out of it is a series of diet, lifestyle, supplementary adjustments that people then follow for three months and then track objectively along that. So it might be, the, you know, they track their sleep, they track their training. So are they getting fitter? Are they sleeping better? Is their mood better? Is their relationships better? Are they doing more work? You know, some getting objectivity around that. So that's what we're doing now. And you talked about technology, and technology is expensive to build. I've learned that much, especially if you're trying to get all these bits of siloed information to talk to each other and then bring the context. And, you know, what I guess my skill set now is the years of knowledge and training allow me to develop quite quickly a context. What does this person want? What do I think would really benefit them? Mm. How do we get that to them? And how do we bring them on that journey? And sometimes you have to give people big wins. Potential big wins make them feel better up front before they then get by into the lifestyle changes. And, you know, for me, that is where sometimes powerful supplements come into play. Mm. And we use medical grade supplements, which when targeted really do impact how people feel. And in all honesty, and then just very quickly, you know, coming from a conventional medical background, I was so skeptical about supplements. I'm like, no, we get everything through diet. And actually... You know, if you live by the sea, you live in the country. You eat from the ground, all organic. You get really high nutrient dense foods. Mm. Perfect, Philly boots. But actually, in today's society, especially you know in the cities, it's really hard to get quality food with enough nutrient density day and day out. Mm. And even if you think you are, eat pret, Leon, whatever. It's not great, is it? It's not great, and you know, it's a lot of the time it's sprayed with chemicals and pesticides and other things that disrupt your metabolism in other ways. Yeah. So. I think it's a complex picture, and I think very smart people are trying to figure this out, and I'm really excited to be talking to some of them, you are.
0: Yeah. Well, brilliant. I mean, I'm excited to see what happens with with Fibre, and I think what makes you very interesting and your company a very interesting proposition is that, how many things are intersecting there, you know, that Mm -hmm. biopsychosocial approach you talk about, your background in psychiatry, your medical training, your athletic background and all the curiosity that kind of layers mm. around that, it's going to be really interesting to see what you do. Your website is sportydoc.com, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's undergoing IE. a rehash, but that was my athlete website,
1: but there's a fair amount of information on there about me. Yeah. And Fiber's website address is? fiberhealth.com.
0: Fibre, Fiber. F-I-B-R, yep. health.com. Yep. Okay, which all of which we'll link to in the show notes. You're at sportydoc on Twitter. If people wanted to find out more about what you do, and the value you bring, is it best for them to go on the Fibre website?
1: Yeah, I work very closely with a wonderful girl called Charlotte who's training in naturopathic medicine. She runs my operations and some of the nutrition and health coaching. And she's charlotte at com, but all through the website either.
0: Cool. Well, but we'll link to um, it all in the show notes. Dr. Tam, thanks very much. No worries. It's been great to talk to you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com, and click on take the test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com, and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.